It's that time of the morning where we get to open up our Bibles together. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 38. You can follow on the um, blue Bibles or the screen behind me. So Luke 22, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Jesus, Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared for the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus answered, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. 
He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt, and you've joined us, as you've already heard, on quite a day in the history of our church, as we've sent off around half our church family to start a new local church at Tonsley, and we've returned to one 10 a.m. service, as we did for our first 18 months here at the RSL. Throughout our history, there's a whole range of things that we've tried to kind of bake into the culture of our life together as a church family. Uh, Here's a photo up on screen of our first church service held here at the RSL on a Sunday, and it's from our weekend together in November 2012. RSL looks a little uh, different uh, since then. And you might uh, guess what we're doing there. Uh, We're singing the birthday song up front. But I actually was searching for this photo, actually for the little table and chairs that were on the old stage there that were used as part of our kids' talk. As we shared with the kids and adults, like all good kids' talks, we were trying to set the expectation that as part of our culture, we would operate like a family expecting guests. We wanted to set a culture of really loving one another and having those family strength relationships, but always on the lookout to welcome new people in and come and join us. And we've uh, had some great wins in that and some challenges over the years as well, as we've heard uh, already this morning uh, from Richard. But just setting that kind of culture, you may have noticed every time I stand up on a Sunday, I introduce myself because we are a family expecting guests and we usually have people with us for the first time each week. Uh, Next photo, thanks, Ali. This one is us commissioning Trinity Church Unley. We did that at our 9 and 10.30 a.m. gatherings about four years ago, so that's only about half the group sent out. But we sought from the very beginning to set a tone that we wanted to be a church plant that plants churches that in turn plant more churches. So it was a nice little um, touch from God this morning, thanks to no uh, great planning of our own, that Steph, uh, who just prayed for us here this morning, was the person who prayed on our first sort of public gathering on February, in February 2013, and actually asked that day for God to enable us to plant uh, churches. And five years later, we were commissioning Trinity Church Unley, as you can see up on screen, as God in his kindness answered that heartfelt prayer. As we prepared for that plant, it slipped into our lingo that as we plant churches, we're prepared to fracture relationships that we love for the sake of people we haven't met yet coming to know Jesus. That commissioning day was a good day, but a hard day, farewelling so many people who were precious to us. And in two weeks' time, we get to do it all again. We're going to do it a little differently. There's going to be no church here in the RSL two weeks' time. We're all going down to Tonsley because it's big enough uh, to have us all and more, and we're doing our commissioning there. Uh, Next and final photo, Ali, would be a good one. Now, this was one of the many preparation tables at our wood oven pizza night. 
And it's perhaps, I chose it because it's perhaps a prime example of our willingness to try anything and everything to connect with our local community to give us more opportunities to share the great news of Jesus. That was 2016. As the year kicked off, we letterbox dropped all the households in Kernelite Gardens on the first week back at school with a flyer that said something along the lines of, first week back at school, it's a busy week, let us provide dinner on Sunday night. And we offered to drop two wood oven pizzas off at people's houses at no cost, or people could come and join us here for dinner and have wood oven pizza here at the RSL. So that was one of the many prep tables going on there. And we actually did 150 wood oven pizzas in 90 minutes, which is a wood oven pizza every, slightly less than every 40 seconds. <laughs> now, I don't usually get daunted by logistical challenges, but that one took me to the edge. Yet, in God's kindness as a team, we pulled it off. And what we wanted to say to our local community is that we're here, we love you, we want to serve you, and we want to invite you to come and join us to hear more about Jesus. And in God's kindness, some did. Some are uh, still part of our church today. Some are uh, off at Unley. And I haven't checked through the roll to see if any have gone to Tonsley. But um, very importantly, it also said to our church family that we've got to be the people who keep trying things, hard things, fun things, slightly crazy things, to search for people who God is preparing to hear the good news of Jesus and respond to him in repentance and faith. Over these same nine years, I think the most important thing that we've guarded carefully alongside those aspects of culture is that Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross is central and foundational to our life together. You wouldn't think that that would have to be guarded, but sadly it does. So on a day when a new chapter begins, as our 9 and 10.30 gatherings kind of come together, half are off at Tonsley, and we've got one new 10am gathering, including people who might be with us for the first time, only been with us a few weeks, mixing with some people like Steph, for example, who's been with us from the very beginning, and everywhere in between. I think it's a great kindness of God that amongst all the shifting dates, and again, through to no great logistical planning by us, that on a historic day like today, we're looking at a passage where Jesus explains the very heart of God's plans for his world and his church. As Jesus shares a last meal with his disciples and prepares them to understand his imminent death upon the cross. So let's have a look at it together. If you uh, have your blue Bibles in reach, you'll find Luke 22 on page 1056. And in the opening few verses, we see that the tension between Jesus and the religious establishment that we've been reading about in previous chapters finally reaches kind of fever pitch and boils over, with the Jewish leaders looking to do away with Jesus and, with a little help from Satan, are provided with an opportunity. As one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas, seeks them out, money changes hands. And an opportunity is sought to hand Jesus over to them, away from the crowds who are hanging on his every word. This and the skirmishes Jesus had with the religious elite that we've been reading about is all in the lead up to the coming Passover festival, where the population of Jerusalem swelled as Jews who lived in the countryside and in the surrounding nations descended 
for this very important celebration of the Passover feast. Now, you know the mix of excitement, tension and unsettledness that descends on a city like ours when like a major festival or a car race is on, every hotel full, people come to town and stay with relatives and friends, there's more people on the street at night, some are having fun, some are getting up to no good, traffic gets a little crazy. Now, we live in Adelaide, so take our experience of that and turn it up about 10 times to kind of try and imagine the energy in Jerusalem at this time and kind of mix that in with this great preacher that everyone's talking about around the dinner table, Jesus, upsetting the political and religious establishment, yet popular with the people. It'd be the first kind of news item people are talking about. And amongst all this kind of slightly crazy energy and tension, as the festival finally kicks off verse 8, Jesus says, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. Which is actually probably a more of an uh, understandable logistical request when you think about it. Busiest night in the hospitality calendar, the city at capacity, no place to call home and just kind of dial in lamb on Uber Eats. Yet in Jesus' reply, we see the perfect insight of someone fully God, fully man, who, mo- who knows that the most important meal of his life on earth has been ordained for him down to the smallest detail. And the disciples follow Jesus' instruction, man coming past, carrying jar of water. They follow him and a generously sized upper room is there and unbooked, so they make the Passover preparations. Now, it's worth noting just how many times our narrator Luke has mentioned Passover, really trying to draw our attention to that fact. The Passover feast, if you're not familiar with it, dated back hundreds of years earlier as Israel languished under slavery under the hands of the Egyptians. God had declared that his judgment was about to fall on Egypt and he would strike every firstborn person and animal. And that as a result... Egypt would finally let Israel go so that God could rescue his people. You can read about it in Exodus 12, if you like. For all of us here today, young or old, just take a moment to imagine what it must have been like to be a slave in Egypt in those times. As whole generations were born, lived as children of slaves pressed into hard labour from an early age for the Egyptians, growing up as teenagers under slavery, for those who were married being married as a slave, starting families knowing your children would be slaves, being worked ruthlessly until you are old and could work no more. Then as your time comes, saying farewell to loved ones and dying, having lived your whole life never knowing what it meant to be free. Sadly, I suspect you'd get used to it. You would try and find moments of happiness and joy where you could, but it would all be quite normal to you. Life would have its routines. It would be familiar because you'd never experienced anything else. If you just stay there for a moment, imagine what it would have been like then 
after generations to hear the story spread that Moses and his brother Aaron had been told by God that he was going to rescue his people from slavery. These men had been called by God to confront Pharaoh, to tell him to let God's people go, yet he didn't. It's hard to grasp what it would have been like to live through the plagues described for us, the locusts, the hail, the frogs, than to hear that there was going to be one more plague and after that Pharaoh would let you go and your families and your fellow countrymen and friends would be free. Mind-blowing. That God was going to pass through Egypt and bring harsh judgment upon the Egyptians for their many sins, striking down every firstborn person, striking down, killing, every firstborn person and animal in every household from the greatest to the least. Yet for you as slaves and for all people who trusted in God that God had showed love to and showed favour to, in your household, no one needed to die if you trusted and obeyed God. On the 10th day of the month, every dad was to take in to the household a year-old lamb, perfect-looking one, without defect, and bring it home so that you could care for it for four days. It would be like the family pet. Then at sunset, after four days, that lamb needed to die and be prepared in a special way and eaten, not raw, not boiled, but like we do here in Australia, over an open flame on the barbecue. (laughs) And as a sign of your trusting God, some of the blood was to be painted over the doorframe. So imagine what it would have been like that day as the firstborn child in the house of Israel as you're preparing the Passover feast. And this is all that everyone can talk about. After dinner, you would have said to Dad, you know, have you done that stuff with the blood on the doorpost yet? Uh, uh, I will, I will, just get the dishes done, get to bed, you'll need your sleep apparently, we're going, for, going to be set free from slavery, you'll need your energy for a long walk. <laughs> it's nine o'clock, you can't sleep, you jump out of bed, dad's on his iPad binge watching Drive to Survive, dad have you done it yet? <laughs> get to bed he yells, so you go back and you try and sleep and you just can't. <laughs> it's 11pm, the house is all quiet now, the lights are out. So you creep out of bed, out of the door, into the starlight, and you notice, try not to get this on my shirt, (laughs) that blood has been painted on the doorpost. You go back to bed, you sleep soundly, but when you awake, you awake to the news that in every household in Egypt, without blood on the doorpost, the firstborn has died. And you see the mourning and the tears. And it really hits you in the heart, as the firstborn still living, you would have a perfect sense that you live because that lamb died in your place. That night, as God came in judgment upon Israel, striking down the firstborn in every household across Egypt, every time he saw blood on the doorframe, he would pass over that house and his judgment would not fall on those who trusted in him, 
blood had already been spilled in that household. So with that background now on the Passover, we're ready to fully understand the import of what Jesus said on that night. Come back to us to Luke 22. Jesus knew he was about to die as he said, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus explains, verse 16, why he's so eager. For I tell you, I will not eat it, being the Passover meal, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus here is linking his death to the Passover. And verses 17 and 18 confirm this when he takes the cup of wine and says, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is saying here in just a few short verses that everything the Passover is about is all going to be fulfilled and the kingdom of God is coming and he's tightly linking these events with his coming death. Now, there were different parts of the Passover meal. It took uh, many hours for the Jews to kind of go through and recall them all. There was a set order to things. But as they kind of got to the part of the night, as they recalled together this great rescue and that the firstborn was saved because the perfect lamb died in his place, it's at this moment that Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying that the Passover, this great rescue and the exodus out of Egypt that followed, was all pointing to him. And in his coming death, just hours away, it will find its fulfillment as the once for all Passover lamb dies on the cross. And after the Passover meal, it was customary to recall the exodus from Egypt. And the Jewish people relived the fact that God rescued his people for a reason. That was, he was calling them to be his special people. And so they recalled together after the meal of God making a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. A covenant's like a contract or an agreement. God made a contract, a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai because he wanted to have a special relationship with them. Instructing Moses to say to the people, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So it's just at this moment, as they remembered this covenant, the special relationship they had enjoyed with God as was customary at the Passover meal, it's at this moment Jesus takes up the cup of wine and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Because Jesus knows that God doesn't overlook sin forever, that eventually his wrath falls just like it did on Egypt and the price of sin is death. Because God hates the way that we treat this world, the way we make war, the way we treat the environment, the way we push others down in faraway places so that we can live a better life with more stuff. But most importantly, we don't treat our Creator God right. 
we don't love him with our whole heart, despite the fact he lovingly gives us every meal, every moment of laughter, every breath we take. Yet because he loves us so much, Jesus came to be our Passover lamb. His blood was spilled so that all who trust in Jesus' death on the cross could have God's wrath pass over them. We can live now in a new relationship with God under a new covenant, free from the fear of death, free from the fear of judgment, which I think we don't often grasp as best as we could. Because in many ways, we're much like the Israelites living in slavery in Egypt. We long for life to be extraordinary, yet so often it falls short. You put together the power of marketing and social media, we live in a state of envy, but new cars get old, holidays pass from memory, and there's much in our world that is broken. We hate the idea of passing into oblivion. We want to live forever. And like slaves in a foreign land, we've never experienced anything different. So we think the way the world works today is normal. We think sickness is normal. We think broken relationships are just part of life. We think hunger and poverty are normal. We think death and saying goodbye to the ones we love is normal. So we try and have fun where we can protect those that we love. But into this awful picture. Jesus, as he strode this earth, healed the sick, brought people back into relationship with each other and God, he even raised the dead to give all of us a preview of something far more extraordinary, his kingdom, a new world that is coming, a world freed from its slavery to sin and all that comes with it, including death itself. And he calls us into it. He calls us into a new covenant relationship with him, sealed with his blood, where Jesus dies in our place as the perfect, spotless Passover lamb. Every person on the planet has fallen short of God's glory. We all have a record of sin against each other, and most importantly, our Creator God. Yet when Judgment Day comes, and God's wrath against sin comes, it will pass over all who have placed their trust in Jesus. And all Christians bear his message that God offers a new covenant, a new contract, a new eternity with all people. And as our story in Luke 22 continues today, we continue to see Jesus in perfect control with perfect insight of what's now to take place, betrayal by Judas, a rather unseemly dispute uh, on which the disciples would be considered the greatest. (laughs) And with a very calm yet clear final lesson from Jesus that in his kingdom it is those who serve who are the greatest.
Jesus, knowing Simon Peter's weakness and coming denial when it's all on the line, lets him know that Jesus has been praying for him and that they will have a key role in strengthening the disciples. Peter will have a key role. And finally, Jesus lets them know that a time is coming in ministry that is one of trial and danger. Whereas before, when Jesus was with them, they could head out without provisions and lack nothing. Now, they're called to be prepared. So really, my goal today in this sermon is a simple one. For all of us to be struck afresh by what Jesus achieved on the cross for all who trust in him. So that we might rejoice in our hearts and this day rededicate ourselves to keeping the cross of Christ central in our church. And that we're going to keep serving Jesus who first served us. There are lots of people we could have uh, taken as encouraging examples of people who give their lives to Jesus like that. It was really lovely to hear from Richard this morning. We're going to keep doing uh, different interviews in the weeks to come as we get to know each other, but partly to, uh, you know, to kind of explore together what serving in the Christian life looks like. We want to keep working out how we can play our part in the mission Jesus gave us to go and make disciples. Whether it's planting new churches, reading the Bible with someone one-to-one, praying, or making a whole load of wood oven pizza, whatever it takes, we'll serve Jesus together and look to him each day for the strength to do so. But today I don't want to close with next steps, plans or ideas. I want to close with one last shot at appreciating the beauty of the cross of Christ. And it actually comes from the last words of Jesus recorded for us by Luke before they head out into the night and his death comes. I'll pop these last words up on screen for me. It's Luke 22, uh, verse 37. As Jesus says, it is written... As he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Now, I often find in the Bible I spot new things. I'm astounded I've never spotted this one before. But Jesus is quoting here with this, as he was numbered with the transgressors, from Isaiah 53 written some 700 years or so earlier. And in his last words to his disciples before the events of the night carrying him away, saying in these next few hours, I'm going to fulfill everything that was ever prophesied about me. So I thought we'd actually close today by reading Isaiah 53 together. That's where Jesus kind of concluded his last words. And it's one of the clearest parts of the Old Testament that sums up that Jesus' death on the cross always was at the very heart of it all, and it needs to remain so. So we'll read Isaiah 53 together. We'll have a go uh, up on screen, and I'll close in prayer. Together, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your great and eternal plans have always been set to reach their climax at the cross of Christ. We thank you for uh, words uh, that we've just read from the prophet Isaiah that display so clearly that this was always your plan. Uh, We thank you that Jesus... Your son, uh, fully divine, fully man, uh, understood things so clearly that he could prepare his disciples and us to understand the full import of how your great plans unfolded across the centuries and things like the Passover reached their climax as Jesus was nailed to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. We pray, Lord, that we would always be a church that keeps your gospel central, this good news of Jesus clear and unashamed. Please help us to uh, try different things, to embrace the gifts and ideas of many on new ways to make new connections in our local community. Uh, Please uh, strengthen us like you did uh, the Apostle Peter who 
even after denying you three times after all was on the line, was used by you uh, as someone uh, key in strengthening the disciples and building your church here on earth. We are sorry for the times that we have stayed silent. We have sorry when we've felt uh, pressure uh, to, to not bring you up uh, in conversation, even when it lends itself so perfectly. Please strengthen us and equip us for the task of going and making disciples of all nations. We uh, realize that uh, we as a church are only one tiny drop in the ocean of the work that you are doing in this world. But we pray, uh, Lord, that you might um, bless uh, our efforts and use our gifts as um, we uh, seek to fulfill this mission. Uh, we pray for Malcolm and Ainsley, who we're sending out from us uh, to serve in Chile with CMS. And we thank you for the way our local mission is represented by starting a new church today. And we thank you already for the number of households that have joined it. Please help both churches to keep your cross central. Please help us to be passionate, loving, serving disciples of you who look to you each day for the strength we need to bring glory and honour to you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.